Welcome to Divorced and Done. I'm Rob Woodward, joined by Darren Schmidt. We're divorce lawyers helping you navigate the divorce process approximately 12 days from Christmas. Is my math right there, Darren? I think so. I think we're a couple weeks out. Yeah, let's say that. 12 days till Santa comes. Hopefully everyone's done their shopping and has their Christmas parenting arrangements crystallized. Everything we talk about in this podcast is for your information. It is not legal advice or legal opinion of any kind. Darren Schmidt, good evening. You know my rule. Good morning. Good morning. Guten Morgen. Yes. You know my rule about Christmas parenting time. You want to fight about Christmas parenting time, I have one rule. I will put it in order. I will put it near a Tell everyone the rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If Christmas Day is such an important day for you and you must have control of that day for parenting time, you will sing Happy Birthday Jesus with the kids on Christmas Day. Happy birthday to Jesus. I have to. It's important. I think that's a great idea. I saw a meme online that said, save money on wrapping paper. And it was the happy birthday paper and someone had just written Jesus under happy birthday all over the wrapping paper. So they're not wasting money on Christmas paper. I thought that was pretty good. But Christmas, we're, we're obviously not talking about this substantively, but Christmas, it's it's a hot issue, and I get it. You and I, even though we deal with this issue all the time, we deal with folks getting divorced all the time, your parents are not divorced, my parents were not divorced, I I touched the rail of Christmas parenting time maybe three or four years ago, uh, and my mother wouldn't mind me airing our family laundry here on the show. She wanted to do one thing for Christmas, and it was only some of our family. I wanted to see some other folks at Christmas, and I said, you know, that's fine. These other folks are doing something else. I'm going to go see them on Christmas. Holy smokes, the the fireworks. And I get it, because we as a society have prioritized Christmas Day um, over really anything else. And it's interesting, Darren, because as you say, you're exactly right. Happy birthday, Jesus. Not to go on a religious tangent, but what is the reason for the season? Uh, and so many folks are just so obsessed with that one narrow day. Whether or not they have religious belief or not, or whatever they're doing, everybody needs that peace. And that's, we see it all the time in parenting orders. Anyway, I digress, and I, I did not mean to do this Christmas diatribe no. right off the top here. How are you doing? Yeah, good. I mean, the Christmas thing is really, if you're if you're instantly worried about it and the Christmas parenting time for your kids or it isn't ironed out, really, what's the grand plan for your divorce file or your parenting arrangements generally? I wouldn't lose too much sleep about whether you have the kids on Christmas Day or not, because anything that's happening on Christmas Day, and I'm sort of speaking to your mother, Rob, about this issue too now, you can, <laughs> you can do it on another day, even mm-hmm. on a warmer day. It can be done in summer. People sometimes do. I think the brick does Christmas in July. Or the Isn't that, oh, that's sale. not just the ho, ho, hold the payments event, or that's <laughs> Leon's maybe. 
<laughs> we've, we've been on a roll with free ads lately, so um, get, get your recliners at the brick. The worst and done, brought to you by the brick. Um, no, but really, the essence of making a big deal about something that really, really isn't a big deal, whether it's Christmas Day, whether it's some other niche thing of your divorce or family law matter, ask yourself, is that the hill you want to die on? Let's That's focus. That's refreshing great, voice we bring to the, to you. If you're listening, great to advice. That. Focus on the bigger picture. My brass tacks, particularly for people with younger children on Christmas parenting, pick pick it. Do you want the day this year or do you want the day next year? Because whoever has the day this year, yeah. the other person's going to have this day next year, or we're going to split it in half and we're going to alternate who gets the morning, who gets Christmas dinner. Those are your two options, and that's kind of it. Uh, let's not fight about that. Let's not litigate. Let's pick one and be done. As you used to say, Darren, pick the cell phone plan. And it used to be in the late nineties, there were 10 cell phone plans. I think now there's only like two or three cell phone plans. You can either get the $85 plan, the $90 plan, or the more than a hundred dollars plan. Pick one. Pick a parenting plan, pick a thing and go with it. Don't spend too much time agonizing. But we're going to roll into some questions before we do. As everybody knows, if you'd like to send us a question, please send it via email, lawyerstalkingaboutdivorce at gmail.com, or through our SpeakPipe, send us a voicemail, speakpipe.com slash divorced and done. So normally, Darren Schmidt, you read the questions. We got a question a couple of weeks ago. It's quite lengthy. I'm going to summarize it. We're going to switch it up. I'm going to summarize the question very quickly and you're going to answer first. Can you accept this challenge? Yes. And to be clear why we're doing this, it's because you can actually read. That's why. Uh, I, I, I'm not as effective at that. I don't know how I became a lawyer, but you're going to read this, summarize it, and spit it out. So let's go. All right. Here we go. Hi there. Hello. I discovered Darren via TikTok and now follow you both, and I'm really enjoying your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time to create very informative, much-needed podcasts and TikToks. We are glad to do it. She says, I have many questions, but in an effort to keep this within a shorter guideline, I'll try and be quick. I live in Saskatchewan. We separated in 2018. We have two children who are now 10 and 19. Uh, the 19-year-old took part-time classes at university this year and will begin full-time classes in a few weeks. Broadly, they have a shared 50-50 uh, equal parenting structure. Some child support is being paid. Section 7 expenses uh, are divided 57-43. In the four years since they've been separated, they haven't got a lot of traction uh, resolving many of their issues. Section 7s are still outstanding. There's some arrears there and other pieces on property. Crucially, the listener suggests, she's really tried to work with ADR through court, sends dad receipts, particularly on Section 7s. They try and work together on any child-related decisions, but he ignores her or he's somewhat abusive in communication, and decisions ultimately never get made or she pays whatever expenses are at issue. He dropped out of mediation after only two sessions. He's refused counseling for both kids, refuses extracurricular activities, and despite many efforts, uh, dad and his lawyer 
are rejecting sort of any attempts at ADR. The one thing they're focused on is her pension as a full-time public servant, where she makes about $50,000 a year, and she's frustrated because his income has fluctuated, uh, where in the past he earned between one hundred and eight and about 150000 a year. When they separated, his income dropped, but now the, their oldest child is over 18. Uh, it's up to 101000 again. And she's concerned that he's cashed out some pensions and retirement plans and is now just focused on her public service retirement pension. So her chief concern is they have lots of Section 7s that are mixed up, but chiefly he's been paying for some daycare, I guess for their 10-year-old. Can he really walk away with half my pension? This would be really disappointing. He's had various retirement packages himself over the years and cashes them out, so he has no savings and no retirement package. Uh, and that's it. So Darren, sort of what I'm seeing, lots of starts and stops, about a four-year separation, a 10-year-old and a 19-year-old. I'm going to imagine disclosure's not complete. There's probably some arrears of Section 7s. She's very concerned about whether he gets a share of her pension after everything that's gone on since separation. What are your thoughts? Thank you for summarizing that. You did a really good job because the question itself, because we both look at the questions in our email. And so kudos to you, Rob, for summarizing that. But thank you very much to the listener for sending the detailed question and the compliments she sends us. My thoughts are, let's work through the steps. If you listen to us, you know we have the divorced and done steps. I think these folks have accomplished step one, living separate and apart. I can't imagine after four and a half years, they're still living in the same house. Again, folks, you can live separate and apart in the same home under our Divorce Act, and you can be considered separate and apart to get a divorce order, but we don't recommend that for many, many obvious reasons. So in this instance, step one is satisfied. Step two is parenting time for your minor children. So we got a 19-year-old child here that may remain a child of the marriage for child support purposes, but likely wouldn't be captured by any parenting time uh, requirements under the Divorce Act. So the younger child is likely the only child that needs to be considered respecting parenting time. These parties are sharing parenting time equally which tells me there's some level of cooperation between them. If you're able to make an agreement on roughly equal parenting time or technically equal parenting time, split parenting time, you can make agreements. And we'll go through the rest of the steps so that hopefully you can pave a way forward to make agreements on all those other things. But it sounds to me like there's no issues raised in this question about modifying the parenting time for the younger child. So if that's going well, let's keep the good times rolling. Step three is child support. And that's where a lot of the effort is spent in this question from the listener about one part of our step three child support, which is section seven expenses. Anyone listening uh, may know or likely know section seven of the federal child support guidelines provides that in addition to regular monthly child support, parents are responsible for covering their proportionate share of any special or extraordinary expenses that are reasonable for the child. And the key thing there is reasonable. We don't know 
based on the question, I'm, I'm kind of just scanning it right now, but we don't know exactly what constitutes Section 7 expenses in this, uh, in this question. Um, she references daycare expenses. Uh, obviously, that would be live for the younger child, uh, I would assume. We're not talking about daycare for a 19-year-old. But. Yeah, she mentions trying to get the kids into counseling, broadly extracurricular activities, and a real breakdown in communication around those pieces. Yeah. So the thing about Section 7 expenses, and you'll see in Section 7, if you Google the Federal Child Support Guidelines Section 7, there are some broad categories of things that are enumerated in Section 7 that constitute Section 7 expenses. But where people often get caught up is the things that are not enumerated specifically in Section 7, but would constitute special or extraordinary expenses under an omnibus provision in the bottom part of it, the latter part of the provision, like any other reasonable expense. I don't have it in front of me. But um, that's a reasonableness analysis, and that comes down to what do the parties make? What are their earnings? Sending children to private school, that may be a Section 7 expense. If the parties both make a lot of money, I, I get that that's not live in this instance, just an example. But if you don't make a lot of money enough to justify putting your child in private school, it likely shouldn't be considered a Section 7 expense, and the party who didn't consent to it shouldn't be required to provide their proportionate share of the sh- of that expense. I'm hoping that the listener and their and her ex-spouse have agreed on these things that are going to be Section 7 expenses. The counseling, though, I see that there's not an agreement on that. So one thing I might recommend on Step 3 is, because it's a pressing issue, because you are racking up some of these expenses without the consent of your ex-spouse, this likely would necessitate an interim chambers application or whatever it might be called in your jurisdiction to get an order on that before you set trial dates on this. I say that more broadly, you've tried ADR, alternative dispute resolution. It's not worked. You probably need some urgent direction from the court or an order from the court on what are Section 7's pending trial and who's going to pay for what on those Section 7's. That might be worth getting specific legal advice on and bringing that chamber's proceeding to determine that issue. Uh, The next step, that's step uh, four, is dividing property and debt. And you've raised the issue of pension division on your end, that you fear that he will divide your pension. Well, that's one portion of the broader array of assets and debts that likely constitute all of your family or marital property and debt that will need to be divided under Saskatchewan's family law legislation that um, governs dividing property. It's a provincial thing. The goal here is roughly dividing everything equally. So you may be able to keep your pension intact, but you'll likely have to sacrifice other things in the division of assets and debts in order to keep your pension intact. So it's not inevitable that your pension is going to be divided, but it starts with understanding what is at play. Full financial disclosure needs to be exchanged. That may be something as part of a chamber's application. You bring an application for updated financial disclosure if he won't be providing that. And then the, the last piece, the last big step for us is spousal support. That's not raised in your question. I don't know if that's live or not. Uh, and hopefully, if you set a chamber's appearance, you set trial dates, that at least gets the ex-spouse and their lawyer moving towards wanting to resolve some of these things. And if you can't, 
at least you have some court dates set as a backstop of sorts. But nonetheless, Rob, what did I miss? I concur with everything you said. On the substantive, I don't think I need to add anything more. You've given this listener uh, some very good guidance. We designed the Divorced and Done Steps to be able to organize your divorce and organize your thinking to be able to say, where am I Where am I at and where do I need to go? By being organized and being structured, one, two, three, four, five, six, you can move through this process. And I think probably for this listener, like so many people we know that listen to this podcast, they want uh, a divorce that resolves itself, something that doesn't need a trial that doesn't need court intervention. And bless you all for wanting that. That's what Darren and I want for you as resolution-based lawyers. But we know for a lot of people, unfortunately, that's not always possible. When these files are going on, as this listener says, four and a half years, this has been exhausting. Absolutely. Dad dropped out of mediation after only two sessions? Great. Uh, You're not going to take this process seriously. Why should I take you seriously? And I think, Darren Schmidt, you're exactly right. And instead of trying to go back to the ADR well or saying, how can we all come to the table and make a deal? She doesn't have all the information from him. He's maybe been underemploying himself. There's a lot of issues, particularly on the child support piece there. Let's run that interim chambers application, probably for some urgent Section 7 pieces, particularly if it's counseling, refresh disclosure from dad. And maybe, maybe there's one more shot at resolution if he's willing to produce the disclosure required after that chambers application. Or you finally just say, enough. Thank you for your disclosure. We're now ready to go to trial and let a judge make a decision because you have put in the good work of four and a half years since separation, trying to make this work, trying to get resolution, and it hasn't worked. Now is the time to turn to court. But good for this listener. Thank you for listening to us. And as always, we wish you all the best. Awesome. All right. Am I going to keep reading the questions tonight? Yeah, let's keep it. Let's keep it rolling. Here we go. All right, next question. Hi, guys. Love your show. Thank you. We love you. I was wondering if you'd be willing to talk a bit about the Contino argument. Uh, And by way of background, before I move into the question, this listener is asking about Contino v. Contino, which was a big Supreme Court case. Uh, And Darren, do you know what year Contino was? I think I have it here open. 2005. 2005, which broadly digs into section nine of the child support guidelines where we say if both parents are in a shared parenting regime we can set off child support between both parents because they're in a shared parenting regime that's usually how section nine works but there are more pieces to it and i know you're going to talk about this darren through the scope of this question so we share we share parenting of our children 50-50, and I am seeking child support. I am a government employee making between 140 and 160 a year. My ex-wife, he calls her an heiress with trusts totaling around $2 million that I am aware of. She claims an income of 120000 but she lives a grand lifestyle, living in a $3 million home, having a luxury vehicle, and purchasing expensive clothes. 
I live in a $1 million home, which is standard for Vancouver, drive a regular vehicle, and work a normal job. Disclosure to date has shown her spending and paying off debts to the tune of about $650,000 a year. Impressive. I just had a JCC hearing where my ex-wife's counsel brought up the notion of her income. My understanding that when this agreement is made, our actual incomes are not factored into child support, but rather what each of us spends on the children on average. I have spent a significant amount of money chasing child support, and now I fear whatever I get will not be worth the grief, presumably in time and legal expense. Thank you for any help you can provide. So Darren Schmidt, this is obviously looking at a Section 9 shared parenting, two children, sharing them equally. Incomes are almost equal. He might earn a little bit more than she does, but she has excessive trusts and $2 million sitting behind her where he does not have such a large endowment. What are your thoughts? So I like the last... Thing he mentions in the question, just as a observation, spending a significant amount of money chasing child support. And that's Absolutely. a great thing to think about because that's something I always caution clients or potential clients who are the recipients of child support, be it in shared parenting situations or even primary parenting situations. How much money do you want to spend chasing a possible increase in child support or even arrears uh, in legal fees, right? Is the juice worth the squeeze? And so that's something you, the listener, has to really grapple with and determine if I turn over every rock, there is a risk that her income is truly $120,000 despite the spending on the luxury goods and the Instagram influencer lifestyle that she appears to be leading. That is a possibility. And if, and if that is true, you will have spent a lot of time and money, likely if you have a lawyer, sounds like you do, and energy chasing this, what is her income question? And if the answer to that is she's truly making about what you make, the likely outcome here is that no child support base monthly child support comes out of anyone's genes to pay the other one. Everyone just waves child support. As as bizarre as that may sound, that may be the outcome here. But the one wrinkle here is that you do have this shared parenting situation. You share parenting time 50-50. And under the federal child support guidelines, coming back to that, I think we were Googling section seven earlier under the previous question. We'll now go to section nine. Section nine says, uh, in essence, I'm just pulling it up uh, now, bear with me. If each spouse exercises not less than 40% of parenting time with the child over the course of a year, the amount of child support must be determined by taking into account the following. And then there's three subsections. Before I go into them, the, the key thing is, does someone have at least 40% of the parenting time over the course of a year? And sometimes there's a dispute about whether that's factually true. Because, you know, do you count time in school? Uh, our parenting arrangements shift over the summer. Uh, there, there's a whole bunch of things, but it's over the course of a year. You have to try and figure that out. Sometimes it's very obvious, and in this case, it might be obvious. 
but for others listening, it may not be as obvious. But if someone is hitting a 40% parenting time threshold, Section 9 applies to you for the purpose of calculating child support, not Section 3. If you go up, if, you've, if you're looking at the guidelines, you'll see Section 3 says you must pay child support under the, the table amount if you're the payor. And I'm really paraphrasing. Nonetheless, you have a shared parenting arrangement. Child support is calculated by taking into account the following under Section 9. Subsection A says the amounts set out in the applicable tables for each of the spouses. Subsection B, the increased costs of shared parenting time arrangements. And C, the conditions, means, needs, and other circumstances of each spouse and of any child for whom support is sought. So that's a very classic Canadian way of uh, putting this all into factors and thinking about things esoterically from a legal perspective. It's not abundantly clear what this means on its face. What we've learned through case law and even through our support calculation software that we use in our practices, what we often use is subsection A, which says the amount set out in the applicable tables for each spouse each of the spouses, excuse me. What that means is you would look at what parent A would pay parent B in child support if parent B was the primary parent, and you do the reverse calculation, and then you do a net set off. So if parent A is supposed to pay parent B $1,000 a month, and parent B is supposed to pay parent A 500, instead of $1,000 moving from parent A to parent B, and 500 moving from B to A, A just pays $500, right? So there's a net set off. When the parents' incomes are equal though, there of course would be no child support that's exchanged. The Contino case that the listener raises basically says, we don't automatically default to the tables. We don't just apply subsection A, which many courts, um, our software programs that we use in our office default to using subsection A the Supreme Court basically paused and said, we need to also look at subsections B and C if we're doing an analysis of section nine. Okay, that's the gist of it. So that's why you do your budgets in a, in essence, uh, in your financial statements in your jurisdiction when you're going through a family law case because you're looking at what is the spending on the children in particular. We're very interested in that because that's under subsection C, you're looking at the conditions, means, needs, and other circumstances of the child. The, there's also a recognition that there's an increased cost to both parents in shared parenting situations because who's buying the expensive, the expense, who's incurring the expenses for the kids for things like jackets, boots, um, you know, the regular everyday stuff that doesn't, doesn't otherwise constitute Section 7 expenses, that's what we mean by there's an increased cost. So, someone's buying the jacket. Is the, is the other person buying the boots? Not always. So Things we really, that are presumed to be captured by Section 3 child support generally. That's not being paid in this instance. In the primary parenting, yes. In the primary exactly. parenting situation, parent B pays that child support to parent A. Parent A goes off and buys the coat. Not so in the shared parenting situation. Right. Right. That's what Contino means. It just means we don't default to the net set-off approach. We look at the budgets and we come up with an appropriate number if it's litigated. That That's the gist of this. But I mean, Rob, do you have sort of other thoughts about 
how this listener can think about this? I think the big things that we don't know about are what are the above and beyond expenses for the kids? What are these things? The one big piece that jumps out at me in here, we know nothing about it. Her, He suggests her spending and paying off debts to the tune of $650,000 a year. That's a phenomenal number, assuming when paying off debts doesn't mean mortgage debt. If it's consumer debt, there's a lot here we don't know. And I think, as you said, right off the top, as the listener notes and you noted, Darren, is the juice worth the squeeze? The only way we know this for this listener is by having an in-depth analysis on that piece going, if your incomes are sort of equal, is it worth looking behind the curtain, digging into those budgets? What are the actual expenses for these children every year? If these children are living a, as you said, to use your word, influencer lifestyle in the style of mom, and the money for all of that is coming from somewhere else, and she's potentially looking to dad for contribution on that or other pieces, it might be worth it. But we don't know about that. He's thinking about looking for child support. Again, have that analysis. Sit down with a lawyer that can talk to you about those pieces that's specific to your situation and specific to that spending. Cool. Well, we hope that helps. We we really went into it on these two questions, so maybe we will um, leave it at that for this episode. And I'm going to jump on that point, Darren Schmidt, because you and I are doing a new project that we're very excited about okay. called Divorced and Done, Etc. And if anyone has not listened to our last episode that came out, I believe, last Monday, uh, December 12th, uh, I hope you will the first episode of Etc., where we talk about different and interesting things. And as we're in the holiday season, to give a sample of this, Darren Schmidt, hmm. how many Christmas parties are you going to this year? Hmm. I think I'm only going to my office Christmas party. My Kidston Helm Ross lawyers Christmas party. I think that's it. How about you? I have a few Christmas parties. I have one tomorrow for this uh, men's choir that I'm in. Right. And it's great because it's a potluck. So I have to bring a dish. It said I could bring a salad or a dessert. I said, what <laughs> if I want to bring salad and dessert? So I'm going crazy. I'm making an ambrosia salad. Ooh. I haven't seen one of those in a while. Uh, yeah. Uh, everyone's grandma probably made one. <laughs> If you think way back uh, from Wikipedia, ambrosia is an American variety of fruit salad originating in the southern United States, including canned or fresh pineapple, canned mandarin orange slices, or fresh orange sections with miniature marshmallows and coconut, usually accompanied by some combination of whipped cream uh, and other sort of sweet sauce to hold that all together. You can make it in about four minutes. I have not had ambrosia salad in a very long time. I think either you love it or you go, this is disgusting. Who would serve this uh, with, with dinner? So we'll see how that goes. Anyway, Darren Schmidt, thank you for being with me. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on Divorced and Done. More, etc. is coming. As always, lawyers talking about divorce at gmail.com and speakpipe.com slash divorced and done. We look forward to being with you again. Don't
divorce Obviously sucks, but at least it only cost 20 bucks 2020, 20, $20 divorce Let's get a 2020, $20, $20 divorce We can save money and split our stuff We'll both pitch in 10 bucks I saw this ad on the side of a truck And it, it seems totally legit, right? Like, no, no, man. We can trust the truck ad for legal advice, it's, right? It's, it's like, no red flags here Let's get a 20, 20, 20, 20 dollar divorce. Let's get a 20, 20, 20, 20 dollar divorce. Let's get a 20, 20, 20, 20 dollar divorce. Let's get a 20, 20, 20, 20 dollar divorce.